You ever feel a breeze across the nape of your neck that sends chill to the tips of every one of your bones? That turns you around to look in every direction to find nothing but the sense it came from some plane of other. How about the bard song that fills you with the same warmth of the mulled cider in your hand? The music that compels you to gaze in its unseen direction as you swell up with unsettling comfort. Sitting across from you, in a chair as old and rickety as your own, is a large man made small. Hunched over with the burden of a broken spirit, he's clearly acknowledged your presence, but does not look up. He seems to be talking to himself as much as you. I'll tell you now, traveler. You and your mighty band do not know terror until every one of these sensations has washed over you, all at once. To find the wind carry voice and song so beautiful that you must find its source. You march onward with the determination of a loyal knight, your own thoughts somewhere in the background, scratching at the edges of your mind. You briefly turn to look over your shoulder and give a wry look to your compatriots. You wonder if it was worth taking the time to talk to this man, someone who is so clearly unstable, somberly waxing poetic. And finally, when senses return to their master and you're standing on a cliff's edge, a small peak over the precipice, and you see the gnarled and twisted shape of a boy too small for this sort of fate, a son too young to wear that pale face of death. The man pauses with a pitiful exhale. A pang of sympathy for him skitters across your mind. Still, you're eager to get on with it. And just as your lack of patience is about to get the better of you, the man tosses a small sack of coins on the table. What is promised up front? Should you return, I don't suspect I'll be around to hand off the rest. You can collect the remainder from Mayor Talbot. The man stands up abruptly and looms over the table for a moment, giving you pause. He's much larger than you first thought. He starts towards the exit but quickly stops and gives you a side-long look as he speaks one last time. Should you find any pieces left in my boy, bury him neath a tall and shady tree. And as for those creatures, those monsters, burn them. Burn them all. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Before we get into this episode, I'd just like to take a minute to thank this week's sponsor, Libris Arcana. They offer a super affordable dice subscription service, as well as standalone polyhedral sets. I've been a subscriber since their inception, and I can say I really look forward to my set in the mail every month. Check them out at librisarcana.com. That's L-I-B-R-I-S-A-R-C-A-N-A.com. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to today's episode of Encounter This. I am your co-host James, the Luring Song Kid, and with me as always is Freeman, the Perpetually Charmed Iceton. Today, Freeman's going to take us down the road of Harpies, found in the Wizards of the Coast 5th Edition Monster Manual on page 181. What have you got for us today, Freeman? Today, we're talking about Harpies, and Harpies are sadistic bastards. You don't say. To say the least. 
We are swearing on this podcast. We are definitely going to be labeled as explicit. Yeah. Perfect. Harpies. Uh, yeah. So they are really ugly and really evil. Very much described uh, as having wicked talents and vulture-like features, but human body and legs and wings, and uh, they're straight-up evil. So they're just like a chimera, then? Uh, kind of, yeah. Just, just a human bird thing. They're a human bird thing. We'll start with the 5e lore in the Monster Manual uh, and their origin. Basically, a long time ago, as usual, an elf is wandering through the forest, and she hears a bird song. And it's so pure and wholesome that it moves her, and she starts to follow it. And as she's following it, she comes across this really handsome elf youth in the forest who is also admiring the bird song. But as soon as the elf youth sees her, he flees. This youth is actually Fenmorel Mesterine, who is a reclusive elven god uh, who governs a couple domains, one including trickery. And as he flees, his divine presence steals her heart and her love. And he vanishes to the forest. So he just like mage hands her heart accidentally? Kind of, I guess. It's probably a little more metaphorical than that. But okay. um, yeah. Not literal. Not literal. Not gotcha. literal, yeah. He's Still, an elven god. It could be literal. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but she falls in love, essentially, with this elven god, not knowing he's a god, and starts searching out for him constantly, but finds nothing. So she pleads to the gods. She becomes desperate, pleads to the gods. And eventually she is answered by Erdri Fenya, who is the elf goddess of the sky. Now, Erdri comes down in the form of the bird that played the song that had led her to this Fenmorel. And she teaches this elf the song to try and lure him back. And she sings it and sings it and still nothing. He does not return. And because she's so disappointed, she curses the gods despite the fact that they tried to help her. And because of this, it says straight in the book, she invokes a dreadful power, transforming her into the first harpy. And the power didn't just transform her body, but it also affected her spirit, which turned her love, her desire for love, into a hunger for flesh. She still sings that beautiful song to this day, and all harpies do, and luring creatures into a deadly embrace, it says. That's some interesting shit. Yeah. I wonder if... I wonder if that dark power she invoked was from the Shadowfell, because it's kind of the, the opposite of the Feywild in the, um, mm. in the D&D planar system. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it does specifically seem to imply that she invokes the dreadful power from the Elven Gods specifically. I think the Raven Queen is an Elven God. Oh, yeah. I'm prepared enough. to be corrected on that, because yeah. that's, that's where the Shadowfell creatures come from, and they seem to be Fey-like. Mm. There it is. Like That's the origin of the Harpy. Uh, don't know, don't have any name for this this female elf, for this this she elf at all. But um, from there, uh, the lore goes on to describe the harpy song. Uh, it's considered, but when you hear it, it's the most beautiful music you've ever heard in the world, straight up. And you become enthralled by it, and you will blunder towards its source. They use this to lure prey over cliffs into bogs and quicksand into deadly pits, and they trap creatures or incapacitate them to make them easy targets. And this is, you know, where their sadism comes in. They'll, they'll just drop you over a cliff. And if you survive, they will just pick at you for days on end. They actually consider the screams of their victims to be music to their ears. So they sing you the most beautiful song, get <laughs> yeah. you to walk over a cliff, pick at you. And as you're screaming to death, that's their music. Yeah. So if that's their music, what do you think their scream sounds like to them? Uh, that's good question. Probably terrifying. Probably as terrifying as our own screams to, are to us. I guess it would be. Yeah. 
and they do this because they are cowards straight up and they will they will not engage in a full on straight up fight. Uh, they lure you and if you they, they're formidable to a degree, uh, they are a low level creature, but they are formidable in combat if they need to be. Uh, but they would rather go hungry and flee than actually stay and stand and fight. So they're that seems like a trait they're actually pulling from vultures, like they're carrion feeders. Mm, absolutely scavengers for sure. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, I'm sure a vulture would kill something if they really needed to, but I don't think they go out of their way to. Uh, we're no ornithologists at the end of the day. Ornithologists? We're going to do this a lot. <laughs> we're, yeah. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're going to stick the landing on that one. We are, we are no bird scientists. No bird scientists. Um, Harpies are also called gruesome collectors in the book. They uh, love to collect little trophies, shiny baubles and valuable objects in particular. They take them from their victims. And they actually, to a point, will become sort of opportunistic cannibals and they'll fight each other over valuable objects. Um, but they'll take things as, uh, just like hair and bones and stuff too and they'll, they'll build their nests out of them. And, and so a lot of valuable treasure can be found in their piles of uh, awful and it sounds terrifying. Yeah, it's not, no, there's nothing, literally nothing pretty yeah. or wonderful about these creatures. I'm just thinking about like a nice, pleasant little magpie, like those little bastard thief birds, and then just mixing in like knuckle bones and skulls and shit, and that's that sounds horrifying. Pretty much. That's pretty much it. I kind of want to make a base of that for like a custom mini now, or just find a harpy mini and then make yeah. this big, elaborate, shiny bone base. Is that a tinfoil? <laughs> uh so that, that's the gist of the, the 5e lore, um, and there's going to be a lot of thematic stuff we'll talk about, especially when we talk about comparing it to the real-world lore. And the real-world lore is very much Greek and Roman mythology, um, and mostly harpies are mentioned in Homeric poems. So Homeric, referencing Homer, of course, the epic uh, poems that he did were like the, the famous one, the Iliad and the, uh, the Odyssey. But by definition, Homeric means epic and large-scale poems related to Bronze Age Greece. Yeah, not specifically defined as the author Homer, who may or may not have been one person, or a bunch of persons, or ever existed. All of which we hope do not sue us. I feel like it's probably in public domain by now. Okay. Um, I think literature only has 100 years. Sweet. Correct us if we're wrong, listeners. <laughs> yeah, we're... Who knows? Yeah, t- t- tweet at us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in these poems, they're often described as half human and half bird and as personifications of storm winds. Uh, they're seen as wind spirits. Uh, they represent destructive nature of wind, the destructive nature of wind. They were called or titled the hounds of mighty Zeus and the ministers of the thunderer. And their names literally mean snatchers or swift robbers. And in later Greek and Roman writers, uh, they, they listed them among the guardians of the underworld, alongside centaurs, Scylla, Chimera, Gorgons, and among others, most of which I didn't write down because I had never heard of them and could not pronounce them. Yeah. I'm not even sure I said Scylla right. Scylla, Scylla, S-C-Y-L-L-A, I have no idea. Don't, don't correct us on that one. <laughs> we're, we're good. It's fine. Don't, <laughs> don't worry about it. So they were known for often stealing food and carried evildoers to Erinys, Erinys, or the Furies, who were the deities of vengeance. The sudden disappearances of people were often attributed to being carried off by harpies. So if you just someone just vanished from the village, you're like, the harpies got them, you know? And right. Superstition before science. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I forget yeah. how long ago that actually was. <laughs> yeah. How far we've come. Indeed. And of course, with superstition comes a lot of imagination. The, they were known for abducting people and taking them, delivering them to Tartarus, which is the deep abyss uh, that was used as a dungeon for torment and imprisoned the Titans. And as they carried them to Tartarus, they would torture them on the way. 
That's... So they're going to be tortured forever, but on the way, they're going to be tortured as well. And just to be clear, I'm pretty sure Tartarus is a living entity as well. I have no idea. I think I'm, I'm fairly confident that Tartarus is, a, is like a live entity. It's one of the first two entities of the universe. Okay. I think it's Gaia and Tartarus, and they give birth to the rest of the universe. Damn. So Tartarus is big. Yeah, so Gaia That's is big. the world, and then Tartarus is the underworld, as far as I, as far as I understand it. Uh, we'll, we'll get better at these as we go along, I'm sure. I promise nothing. <laughs> Stop uh, just making random assumptions about Greek mythology by yeah. our second episode, probably. No way. So I'm going to go through a couple excerpts from a lot of these Homeric uh, references that give a lot of physical description uh, of these creatures. All right. To quote one of the poets of our generation, hit me with your best shot. Fire away. <laughs> uh, we're going to start with uh, Hesiod, who was a poet alive around the same time as Homer. And to Hesiod, he imagined them as fair-locked or beautiful-haired and winged maidens who surpass winds and birds in the rapidity of their flight. In his book, The Theogony, the harpii or harpies of the lovely hair, Okipete and Aiello, I don't know how to pronounce those at all, and these two in the speed of their wings keep pace with the blowing winds or birds in flight as they soar and swoop high aloft. So this is the only example I found where they're described as beautiful. And they actually have, there's two specific names attached to individual harpies. Yeah, it sounds like we take a lot of the iconography of modern day angels from this particular description. Beautiful, blonde haired, probably fair skinned. And then Aeschylus comes in and he sets the tone for them being hideous. Essentially, Aeschylus is a Greek tragedian. Tra- tragedian. For a little bit behind the scenes, this is the third time we recorded this episode in its entirety, and this is the third time. We tragedian. St- we still don't know how to pronounce yeah. it. That's uh, it, no, it's tragedian. No, we, we, we know how to pronounce it. He's known as the father of tragedy. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I can pronounce that one. Um, and uh, he described harpies as ugly creatures with wings, and later writers would carry this notion forward. And they would be represented eventually as disgusting monsters. In his play, Eumenides is called, there is a Pythian priest or an oracle, also called Sybil, who served Apollo. And she described them like this. Before this man, an extraordinary band of women slept, seated on thrones. No, not women, but rather gorgons, I call them. And yet I cannot compare them to forms of gorgons either. Once before I saw some creatures in a painting carrying off the feast of Phineas, but these are wingless in appearance, black, altogether disgusting. They snore with repulsive breaths. They drip from their eyes hateful drops. Their attire is not fit to bring either before the statues of the gods or into the homes of men. I have never seen the tribe that produced this company, nor the land that boasts of rearing this brood with impunity and does not grieve for its labor afterwards. So it's like... That's really heavy. And what I've noticed about this is that she's not actually describing harpies. She's describing something she doesn't know what it is. But the closest thing she can think of to compare them to are harpies. Yeah, they sound... So, it, not, not only does it sound like she's comparing them to this, she's, she's not only insulting them, she's insulting the entire nation that they come from <laughs> because they're so ugly. Absolutely. Uh, she, and she has not heard of where the land they come from. So clearly you know, she's insulting them, but she's kind of implying that they will not admit to having created these things or, or being the origin of these things. That's how hideous they are. That's insane. And I'm sure I feel as a, as a white cis man, I feel down in my bones that that's racist <laughs> somehow. Yeah. 
so <sighs> from there, uh, a couple other small ones. You got Virgil. He's a Roman poet during the Augustan period. Yeah, he's famous for writing the Aeneid and guiding Dante through hell in the Divine Commedia. Yes, and the prior is where we're going to have our little excerpt from. It says, bird-bodied, girl-faced things they are, abominable their droppings. Their hands are talons, their faces haggard with hunger insatiable. I thought it a bit strange. She's talking about their feces, their droppings. I'm, I'm assuming that's what he meant. Uh, but. You know, that's the, having read the Aeneid... But, mm. Like a decade ago, listeners. Uh, it's not really off base for Virgil. Okay, sure. He, uh, he'll really kind of talk about anything. Yeah, though. really. I, it's a good read. Good read. Yep. It's it's a short. You heard it here read. first. Yep. It's good. It's good. <laughs> There's your hot take. Could be a lot of firsts, here, guys. <laughs> I promise. Um, and then one last one we have. I, I had to include this one just because it's it's a bit silly. The is a guy named Hygienus. He's a Latin author during the Augustan period. A little bit of history in him, if I recall correctly, was he was just a nobody. He got adopted by a poet and then was like taught to uh, read and stuff like that. But he just ended up, I think, having no talent for poetry whatsoever. But he spent his whole life like writing stuff down and scribing and, and whatnot. So he has this book called the Fabulae or Fabulae. It's a collection of some 300 myths and celestial genealogies, all of which are known for being brief, plainly and even crudely written. So in other words, he was boring as all hell. And the excerpt he has is, they are said to have been feathered with cock's heads, wings, and human arms with great claws, breasts, bellies, and female parts human. Literally the only interesting word in that is great. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, it sounds like he's describing them as female bodied, but with a chicken head. Right, that's the and that's, that, that's definitely the only example I've, I've I've come across where their head seems to be of a foul nature, pun intended, uh, rather Ugh. than a human, <laughs> rather than a human head. So yeah, that's that's interesting because now we've got uh, at least I'm counting four different descriptions. We've got this guys who were their female bodied with a rooster head. We've got the one with the bird body and the female head. Mm-hmm. We've got the angelic-like one, and then we've got the one that's mostly human, but with the talons, claws, and wings. Right. It's a little bit all this, but obviously there's, there's a common theme in there. You know, ugly bird features, mostly female. Um, what I'm going to do now, though, is talk about that example that mentions Phineas Feast, because it's the only real uh, specific story surrounding other characters that very much prominently features harpies. Essentially, Phineas was a seer and a king, from Salmadesis? Salmadesis? It's a place in Thrace. He appears, as far as I know, originally in the second book of the Argonautica, which is the tales of Jason and the Argonauts. They discover Phineas on an island, and he's being punished by Zeus for telling too many divine truths to mortal men. They realize he possesses prophetic powers, and they are basically moved to help him. But the what happens to get him there, his punishment exactly, is that uh, Zeus gave him the option of death or losing his sight. Um, specifically his physical sight, not his prophetic powers. So he was given the option, and his response was that he would rather never see the sun again than to die. And this is said to have scorned Helios, specifically, understandably. Yep. And so as part of the punishment, he was banished to an island to live out the rest of his days blind. And he had this beautiful everlasting feast that would be presented to him every day. But Helios sent harpies to steal the feast away from him every day or replace the food with spoiled food and just torture him endlessly. So these harpies would come in and just he never, ever got to eat this beautiful feast. He's blind. He's on an island by himself and he doesn't ever get to eat. I can feel my skin crawling just thinking about that torture. (laughs) Also, I find that particularly interesting because we've 
already gone over that harpies are the hounds of Zeus. I don't know what the fuck Helios was doing with them. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a bit of contradiction there. Uh, that being said, I do recall in the research it was suggested that the harpies were Helios's doing, but it was also possible that that was the whole uh, big part of Zeus's punishment. Helios was not involved at all. So it's probably just a different interpretations of the same story gotcha. at the end of the day. When the Argonauts arrive at the island, they discover Phineas, and he tells them about his daily torment. And two of the Argonauts, Zetes and Kale, or Callis, uh, they are sons of Boreas, the North Wind. And Phineas is their brother-in-law, it turns out, because his first wife was a, a daughter of Boreas. And so he convinces them to help him, and despite they're, they're, they're pretty wary about angering the gods and like undoing their divine punishments. As you should be. But he convinces them and he promises he can help them along their journey with his, with his seer powers. So they set a trap. They draw the harpies in. They don't kill them for fear of the gods' retribution, but they drive them away. Phineas thanks them and reveals to them a path on their journey so they can get through the Simplegades or the Clashing Rocks is a, a big part of the Argonauts' journey. Rocks that would clash together if a ship tried to... Uh, sail through. Oh, neat. So he gave them the secret to, to pass that. Now, it's not like an overly interesting story at the end of the day, and the harpies have a small role. Uh, I just thought it was really interesting that there's so many thematic things in there. When you are looking at even just parts of the 5e lore and uh, like the origin and different personality traits to these harpies, there's a common theme of birds, obviously. Uh, wind, with Erdri Fenya being goddess of the sky, who actually preferred to f- like her favorite thing in the in the world was to fly extremely high above the world. We've also got a theme of stealing things, in particular with the real world mythology. You've got them stealing food and even just people abducting people. You could imagine in the Five E lore that when someone disappears, it's because they were lured by a harpy song, and so in a sense are being abducted. Gotcha. And the one major difference I did notice was that there is no mention of the song whatsoever in the real world lore. There's absolutely no reference to singing of any kind when it comes to harpies with Greek and Roman mythology. Gotcha. So harpies don't sing. They do not. Not as far as I know. But they do love to torture. Another common theme. I guess that's also good. Music to all of our ears. So other than the song, is there any main differences between the 5e lore and the real world lore that really stick out to you? Not in particular. Uh, I guess the only other one would be the 5e lore does specify that the harpies didn't serve anyone. They were, for all intents and purposes, very independent. They would live in small packs, but they did not, they were chaotic, evil monstrosities, but they just had no interest or maybe didn't have the wherewithal to actually serve someone or be of much use to other creatures that were more powerful and evil. Uh, Whereas in the Greek and Roman mythology, they are specifically servants that is what they do. They serve particularly Zeus, or they carry thing, you know, creatures to uh, Tartarus. Yeah, hounds is, a, hounds is a very specific description. Mm. So. Ministers. Ministers of the Thunderer. Like, you know, yeah. it's, it makes them sound like they have such an important role, or a very specific role to play. Whereas in, in 5e, they're just, they are just creatures that want to kill and eat flesh. So are they, not to dip into mechanics early, but are they mindless? They are not. Definitely not. Wisdom is about 10, intelligence 7. So they're not not smart, but they're not mindless. Gotcha. So they they are wise, they're just not intelligent. More or less. They, they are basically a wild creature. Okay, so same same stat highlights as a regular... as Yeah, and they just happen to be constructed of, of a dark magic. Gotcha. So what is the subtype on these guys? Are they fey subtype? They are monstrosity. Okay, so they are monstrosity. Mm-hmm. Even though all that fey lore is wound in there, the first harpy was an elf, mm-hmm. they're still falling into the monstrosity category. 
You think that's just because they've been diluted so far over time? Is that is that a breeding thing? I think because when I think about the definition of monstrosities, they are usually something that lives in a natural state, but has been twisted and corrupted and and turned into what they are through magic. Okay, kind of like a hag then. Yeah, more or less. And so they have this sort of innate magical element to them, especially through that song. But other than that, they are basically just a beast at the end of the day. They, I believe they can speak, but they are just m- sort of almost in that mindless category. They're they're sentient, but you know they just want to kill. Gotcha. So tell me about this song. Where do you think that comes from? Well, I think the song was the result of Wizards of the Coast trying to avoid making a siren as part of the maybe at least for the official 5e lore. Instead of creating two separate creatures, they sort of seem to have amalgamated the idea into one. Um, the reason I kind of think I, I did look up sirens because obviously I was immediately thinking of sirens, you know, when I was reading over the song. And there are two siren options in third-party books, actually. One is by Kaywood Publishing in their book Monsters of Feyland. They are a slightly higher CR and in intelligence, but they have amphibious qualities and they can shape change and spell cast as well. They basically operate the same way other than that. They have the luring song and they lure people over cliffs into the ocean, that sort of thing. Interesting. The other one is by Legendary Games from the Pirate Campaign Compendium. Oh, I should note the Kaywood is a fey creature. Kaywood Publishing is a fey creature rather than monstrosity. But the one from Legendary Games goes back to monstrosity. Also a little bit of a higher CR. It actually speaks Orin and it is a flying creature again. I like that. I like that it speaks Orin. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's the language of the elemental of the air. And these guys have a luring voice as opposed to luring song. And it's a charisma saving throw. And it operates a bit differently in the fact that it charms another creature to a degree where you basically are compelled to do whatever the siren asks. Limited to things like you can't attack. You won't make you attack your own allies or throw yourself off a cliff, actually. I wonder if we're going to see more of the siren. Like you said, it seems like the siren was, was taken out specifically to add the harpy in, but I wonder if we're going to find those other qualities of the siren in the sea hag. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, so it's a good question. Stay tuned for our hag suite, because that's definitely going to be more than one episode, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so from there, from there, I imagine we'll move on to mechanics. And just, I'll give you a quick breakdown. They are the subtype monstrosity. Their alignment is chaotic evil. They're a CR1 creature. HP about 38. AC is 11. They have low intelligence. Otherwise, they're pretty average. Dexterity and charisma being the highest stats. Their land movement is 20 feet, but they do have a 40-foot flying speed, which I think is pretty big for a, a CR1. Yeah, a 40-foot fly speed is pretty incredible for a CR1 creature. I know a lot of the parties that I've had as a dungeon master would have a hard time dealing with something like that. That's that's really, really high. That can fly up 20 and then back down 20 and, and get off a couple of attacks. And I think the purpose behind it is not only in line with its lore, its physical makeup and everything, obviously they can fly, but their cowardliness, the fact that they don't want to engage in a one-on-one combat or a full frontal combat. They are looking to trap you, maim you, and then come at you, make you an easy target. So their fly speed is more likely to be used as a method of escape, I think. Yeah, kind of like kiting. Exactly. Now they have uh, no resistances, vulnerabilities, or immunities. They speak common. Uh, they have no particular skills. Passive perception of 10, really, really quite average. They do have multi-attack, I assume, lining up with like their slightly higher dexterity. And they use a club and usually just their claws. There ha- I did read on the wiki there has been known to be some harpies that you know, maybe just a little bit of a cut above the rest that were capable of using bows at some point. But otherwise, 
what they have is luring song. That's their main thing. Yeah. It is a wisdom saving throw. It's a 300 foot range. And it's a bonus action in initiative order to continue the song. That's intense. Yeah. 300 feet range. (laughs) And if you were to fail the saving throw, you spend your turn moving as far as you can towards the source until you reach five feet away from it. So that's a dash action, which is double your movement. So that's on average 60 feet. Basically, yeah. That's not terribly quick. No, not really. You're, you're Assuming you are being targeted at the maximum range of 300 feet, it's going to take you a little while to get to it for sure. And can you remind me what that save DC was again? It's only a DC 11. It's not too bad. But if you do have someone that is lacking wisdom, especially if they have a negative modifier, you could find them repeatedly failing that. And every round they're moving double their movement. And the rest of the party has to basically, if they want to keep up with them, try and stop them. They're going to have to move double their movement as well. Yeah, but a longbow's max range is 120 feet. Like, just poke it off. <laughs> like you sure. said, what, what their, their average HP is 38? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. but we're talking, we're level one. You know, it's not high HP, obviously, but this thing can just continuously sing. It's a special ability. It's not a concentration check. Oh, okay. It means they could just bonus action over and over and over and just keep it running. Gotcha. I Sweet. would assume once you engage them, they're probably going to squ- like squawk or something and, 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 and stop singing. But you, if someone does make repeated fails, they are going to keep going. So if your PCs succeed on the Wisdom Saver, are they immune after that? They are, 24 hours. Okay, so yeah. that's not too bad. I, I still see these creatures a little, not underpowered, but I feel like it could be so much beefier, so much more to it than just... Well, I think one of the big things about this is that they're really hard to take down, but not because they're beefy, because they're trying to lure you and run away themselves. Like, they're going to be hard to kill because they're going to be hard to come into contact with. You're going to have a hard time reaching them without having to be, you know, lured or charmed. And if you do manage to have the whole party resist them and you go at them, well, they're going to be like, fuck this, I'm out. So this is a creature that it's CR1. It's not going to offer a lot of experience at the end of the day. You know, probably experience that your party is going to want, but they are not going to be an easy target to take down to get that experience. Yeah. They're just going to piss off and say, I'm out of here. I didn't, I didn't get you in my trap. So why bother? Do you think they're smart enough to build traps? To build an actual trap? I don't think so. Like a spike pit or something? I don't think so. But I think the important thing to note is that you, if you're charmed, you will move towards it until you are five feet away from it. Yeah. If it is 20 feet over a cliff flying, you're going to walk right off that cliff. Yeah, that I like. That's, that's I, the real I kicker. really, I really, I'm, I'm starting to fall in love with kiting with these creatures. Like really <laughs> just, just come get me. <laughs> nope. Come get me. PCs just, you bastard. Yeah, I think that would be a good way to draw them into a trap, but it's... They're just a big tease, man. <laughs> guys, they're a big old tease. <laughs> yeah. All right, so how, how are these stats and mechanics reflected in the lore? I think everything is pretty much above board. Crude weapons, claws, ugly, swift. Um, the club strike me as a bit odd, though. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just crude weapons. Anything... Uh, I think club is just used because that's one of the standard simple weapons in the PHB. So you think of it as like a broken tree branch? Could or... be anything like that. Yeah, maybe they just pick it up a big rock or something and smash it over the head with it. Gotcha. You know, just something that's probably light and easy to handle wherever they wherever they go, realizing that sometimes a blunt instrument is, is a better answer than just a claw. Especially against heavy armor. Exactly. Okay, I like that. I, I like the idea of them just picking up big branches or tiny rocks and then axe chopping you on top of the head after they kite you into a spike pit or off a cliff mm-hmm. and then i guess eat you into quicksand even yeah. Ooh. desert harpy i never thought of that before there you go so let's move on to personal 
experiences. Brought to you by Strange Fellows Blackmail Milk Stout. The most delicious milk stout available in Vancouver currently and probably always. Probably always and forever. Not also, actually brought you by yeah. Blackmail Stout, though. Big disclaimer. We're definitely not sponsored by Strange Fellows Blackmail Stout unless they want to reach out and sponsor us. We very much wish we were and maybe one day. Tell me about any personal encounters you have with these things. Have you used them as a DM? Have you have you gone up against them as a player? Have you have you been kited by these motherfuckers? Like what, what what's I, the deal here? So I have used them myself. Uh, it was a sort of a last minute thing, actually. I was wrapping up a sort of mini campaign with a group that I had in Australia. We had a very limited time to get this story through, so we kind of were on a, a ra- on a rails sort of campaign, and they were all happy to just see the story unfold. It was really fun. And then near the very end. I had all the players separated in this sort of magical realm, and they all met up at one point like through a sort of cave system, if you will, into one central chamber. And once they got in there, they heard this song coming down from the one tunnel that no one had come from. Uh, and <laughs> yes, just as beautiful as that. I had sort of improvised this moment. I had realized just before this session, I believe it was even our last session, that I did not have something to get them from meeting to the next destination. Ah, yes. So I had just read about Harpies the day or two before and very quickly just created this massive cavern filled with Harpies' nests. So something that was really out of the norm from the 5e lore, like large groupings, but then they were in a very magical realm that didn't really make a lot of sense in the sort of real world, or the quote-unquote real world. The old flip through the monster manual and make shit up preparation technique. Pretty much, yeah. Love it. And sure enough, only one of them failed the luring song check, and I think I had increased the DC quite a bit, because I think they were at a level 9 at this point. Okay. And one of them just started beeline it down the tunnel, and they all run in after him. And next thing you know, they just see all these harpies turning their heads towards them. And it turned into this sort of improvised chase scene with no real mechanical rule. I just wanted the players to flavor their escape. They could see the sort of tunnel way at the end of this giant cavern, and there was harpies' nests all along the ground, the walls, the ceiling, everywhere. It was all on the edges of the room, so everything is looking down on them and uh, towards them from the sides. And they just ran, and they decided to just do everything they could to cause a big mess as they were going. I think the druid was throwing fire of some kind that he had used to produce flame spell to light something on fire and throw it across. The paladin, uh, I had given the flame tongue sword, and he was just lighting shit on fire as he was running by with it. Our monk, Lord Blessum, was trying to use darts the whole time he played for anything he could think of, and it was the just not, it never worked. So he was just throwing darts everywhere. I think he was trying to light them on fire as well, uh, and it just ended up be this really flavorful, imaginative scenario that mostly the players sort of just dictated themselves, and it was actually really really fun. It turned out that's my own personal story. I do have a good friend of mine, uh, Danny Greyhood, who's actually working on our logo. The yeah, hit him up on Twitter at uh, Greyhood, I believe is his Twitter handle. We'll link that in the description. He's he does great great work, and uh, I we'd we'd love it if you could help support him. If you guys are looking for a logo or some sort of uh, font design or whatever other things that he does, he's he's checking with him to see what he does and what what he's what he's uh, available to do. Yeah, yeah follow sure. him, throw a tweet his way. Mm. Uh, his group was going through the Rappin Athuk setting from Frog God Games and Necromancer Games. Definitely didn't pronounce that right, but it's from... It's a legendary mega dungeon, essentially. I believe that goes back to first edition. And it's basically in an underground tunnel. Uh, for their experience, they heard this singing 
uh, wood elf, a drow, and a gnome all save in their party, but the human does not. And the human was drawn towards it, and he was walking towards this pool of amber liquid, and it turns out to be acid. And the gnome barbarian managed to tackle him just before he went in, and several other voices joined in harmony around them. But luckily, the drow warlock uh, had a wish spell at the beginning of their campaign, Are drawing it from the deck of many things. kidding me? They drew a deck of many things uh, wish spell... At the beginning of their campaign? Apparently this DM's like pretty damn awesome. So a fucking sadist. Yeah. <laughs> so he was pretty, you know, he's brave enough to do that. But this re- resulted, he got basically got two wish spells, I think. And one of which he ended up with the powerful evil codex as his book for his warlock powers or whatever. Oh, a pact of the tome. That's the one. And he, at this time, he had 13 zombies and four skeletons at his disposal. And so they took down this large group of harpies. They lost he lost a few zombies along the way, apparently, but uh, it was over quickly, but they said it was really flavorful and really fun. That's a pretty basic example of, of how a harpy can be used. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I love hearing stories like that, and we love hearing your guys' stories. Mm-hmm. So as the episodes come out and come down the line, just a little bit of a heads up, we're going to be looking for your stories to add them into our shows. Uh, we'll give you a little plug on social media. We'll give you a little, uh, little clip in the episode. Speaking of which, his Twitter handle is, in fact, at gray with an a underscore hood he's doing fantastic work and it sounds like he had an amazing dm for that campaign uh any experiences for yourself you know i haven't really run harpies too much i've always looked at them as a cr1 creature and just as i'm sure came across in the episode felt like they weren't enough i think i would need to homebrew them quite a bit and make them closer to cr3 creatures and get rid of that club nonsense and that keep that multi-tack with the talons i like the idea of them being from the fey Mm-hmm. But the idea of them being the hounds of Zeus and speaking Orin really sits with me. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe harpies in my world would be something like a herald of a storm giant. So you encounter a little pack of harpies and you know a storm giant's around, kind of like a remorad. And I think they're gray white sharks, but a remorad and a shark, realistically. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a true symbiotic relationship there. So a storm giant comes through and things just die. It's like us stepping on ants. Sometimes there's collateral damage and the harpies pick up the mess and they just kind of flock around the storm giant. So if you see harpies, you know that there's this storm giant around or cloud giant or probably cloud giant. Mm. Are they different in 5e? They're different. I believe so, yeah. 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 So probably a cloud giant. I would give them back the ability to speak Orin over common because I think that makes more sense. Because I've always seen Orin as a derivative or a related, I guess, a lateral language from Elvish. Sure. Uh, anything in that higher elemental plane I see as a lateral from Elvish, and then from the bottom plane I see as kind of a lateral of Dwarven. Okay. Even though that's not canon, that's just in my mind how that works. Sure. So I'd probably beef them up to CR3, up that wisdom save to at least 13. Mm-hmm. The math on 11 just isn't. That's a 50, 60, 50% chance that they're going to pass that save without any bonuses or minuses, and that's right. just... It's not worth it to me. Mm-hmm. I, I would definitely use them as kiting creatures. I'd probably bump up the intelligence a little bit, so they're a little bit smarter than that. But I was also digging around before we recorded this, uh, and I found a harpy night hag amalgam, like hybrid creature. Uh, so I really like the idea of them being this kind of uh, this beefed up, like massive harpy with like spellcasting ability, and it kind of controls other harpies. It's like a harpy that's that's 
has been lucky enough to be a more capable creature. You know, a sort of enigma harpy that learns to become a hag. Yeah, and it, it uh, yeah, and give it that spellcasting back. Like this is a CR six creature. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got her claws, but she's also got a couple of other cool abilities. Uh, Jarring Song is the one that really stands out to me. It's got a DC fourteen Wisdom save, mm-hmm. or be stunned until the song ends. Wow! So that's absolutely insane, and it can keep uh, singing as a bonus action, just like the regular harpy can. So yeah, like you fail that DC fourteen Wisdom save, and you are stunned. We're looking at a huge boost to the AC as well, uh, seventeen over eleven, which is fantastic. Wow! Yeah. So I think this this uh, I'll try and link to this in the show notes as well. It, it knows uh, hex and magic missile, which I think is really cool. Uh, mirror image, I don't think I'd ever use, uh, but sleep I might use, and it's got resistance uh, to magic. So I really like this harpy hag hybrid that I found. Mm. Now, what, uh, what are we looking at to stop that song, other than the obvious of like incapacitation? You're looking at an error on your DM side to not m- use it as a bonus action or <laughs> use it? something else as a bonus. Okay. Action. Yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty brutal. Imagine, uh, imagine if the whole party just failed that. You you're screwed. Yeah. So uh, it also ends if the afflicted creature takes damage from another source other than the hag. So okay. if you're with with hags traditionally, you're using them in a coven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you if it takes damage from anything other than the specific, this creature is called a harpy hag. Mm. Uh, it appears to be by user 5sash on Reddit. 5ash. Five 5ash. Five Sash, I think, is what it is. Um, in Leap Speak. It, oh, in Leap Speak. you old yeah. enough to remember Leap Speak. <laughs> Leap Speak. Uh, it is the letter 5ash. So 5ash. Mm. I'm going to call him Sash. Call them Sash. I don't want to assign a gender to this person. <laughs> um, so, it, and it is on the UA Reddit. Uh, and it's cool. called a harpy hag. It's, I do notice too they have changed shape, which is akin to one of the sirens. Yeah, and I really like that. So this kind of really falls more into that siren aspect, mm-hmm. uh, but written out for proper five E, just like some of the other stuff. But amazing that that's why this is the creature. It's got a long that, list of resistances too. I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah this creature is a beast. Cool. For a CR, I think CR six is probably underestimating it a little bit. Sure. But I would totally use this as a CR six creature because I don't give a shit about CR at all. <laughs> amazing. Awesome. Uh, so I think those are the ways that I would incorporate them into my world. Other than that, they're honestly a little boring to me as mm-hmm. written. Like, I really love that elven lore. And we were looking at a photo of one earlier while we were recording this. And, like, you can see some of the elven traits from it. You can see the, mm-hmm. the elongated limbs. You can almost see the pointed ears and the, the soft nose. Mm-hmm. Real baby face. Real baby face. Real like, baby it, face. it really does have elven qualities in the 5e arts, and I would really want to play that up, whether yeah. it's them having spoken Orin or having the same resistances to magical sleep and charmed that yeah. elves have. Like you can see how they could almost be beautiful or would have been beautiful at one time. I think they all yeah. were beautiful at one time, and I think just through breeding, mm-hmm. probably. that That is, because there would be a lot of inbreeding, which is... No doubt. Scientifically been proven to uh, decrease the symmetry of the human form. <laughs> the lovely aesthetics <sighs> that we've come to appreciate. Yeah, so yeah. one of the things about the human form, if you don't know, is that symmetry is how we define beauty. Uh, so if somebody's got a lovely face, it normally means they have a symmetrical face okay. on, on the surface level. Like, But, you know. That being said, this picture of the herpy is, uh, we got a profile side here. So who knows what the other side looks like? Exactly, yeah. All sorts of droopy. Hideous, or and these elongated limbs, and these, yeah. uh, the, the, the scale-like bird legs that mm. it's got going on. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's really 
it really definitely has those fey origins in this art. And I really appreciate how deep this author or this artist went. And I wish I had the artist's name in front of me, but I don't because I'm a terrible person. That's fine. Um, well, I think that's it for Harpies. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so, as I mentioned earlier, we're looking for your experiences. And our next episode is going to be Yetis. So if you have any stories about that, feel free to write in or tweet at us at EncounterPod on Twitter. Or our email address currently is encounterthispod at gmail.com. That will change as we go forward. We don't currently have a home on the web, but feel free to uh, keep up with us on Twitter, uh, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher Premium or Stitcher or whatever, whatever platform we get this on and you're listening to it on. Uh, that really helps us out. We'd love to be one of the top-rated shows in whatever genre this is. The history of the world! Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and a last big shout-out to you, our listeners. Thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. We appreciate it. If you could share it with a friend, a friend who loves D&D creatures, a dungeon master, or somebody who just likes to go on an imaginative journey. We hope you guys learned something, because we certainly did. And we'll see you next time for Yetis. Thank you so much. Bye. Cheers, friends.